0: com lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed McBride's responsibility is to hire and
1: fire the U.S. men's national team coach so if new GM Brian McBride doesn't believe that Greg Burhalter is the right coach it is McBride's duty to make a change now if he believes that Burhalter is the right man then for better or worse McBride and Burhalter are married and their fates are aligned Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the arrival of Brian McBride on the scene uh, with the U.S. men's national team. Our Mossy Makes the Case segment, Mossy's going to be talking about the Spanish Super Cup and Valverde fallout. In our Ask Alexi segment, we will be talking Olympic qualifying and Disney movies. In our Back 3, we're talking about Chicharito and Pulisic and so much more, but first joining me... My friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday morning?
2: Uh, I am very good. I've had a busy last few days, but I haven't gone on any ten-mile runs.
1: Yes, uh, I I run. Yeah, five to six miles a day, and then I save to the weekend for a Sunday special, I go into the double digit type of thing. So I went on a 10-ish uh, mile or uh, yesterday. I'm feeling it today, the, the lact uh, lactic acid buildup continues on. But but there's a sense of, uh, of accomplishment. Immediately when you say that, and I, by the way, I'm not. it takes me a long time, so I'm not bragging about anything. But there, immediately people start sending you texts and emails and tweets about, you need to do the marathon with me. You know, I, I have no desire at all to do a marathon. Do you have a desire to do a marathon? No. No, you have no desire to do a, a marathon at all. The other thing that occurred to me when I walked in here, Mossy, I wanted to make sure I get hit it off the top, is there is always competition in life, in everything that we do, even if you don't want to admit it. And if you look behind me, all right, my cupboard is filling up as opposed to behind you, which your cupboard is still incredibly bare. It is embarrassing to your side of the studio. And unfortunately, because this is our studio, it is a reflection on us. We are a single entity here, Mossy, all right? The collective is the most important. So you are not holding up your end of the bargain over there. So please help Mossy out, all right? Give him some ideas on what he should put there. I mean, look, at least something from Michigan, from your beloved Wolverine, should be behind you right there. But that is what I am, uh, I am asking you to do going forward. Can you do that for us? Can you do that for me? Next week. Next week. There will be, there will be something. Uh, on another note, uh, before we kick off the pod. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, and it's, it, it's, uh, it's on a kind of a sad note. And for those of us that are uh, into, heavily into music, heavily into the 80s, uh, Rush is a huge, huge band. And we just lost, uh, when I was growing up, it was Neil Peart. Uh, his actual name is Neil Peart, the legendary drummer for the legendary trio of Rush. Do you know the band Rush, Mossy?
2: I am familiar with
1: it. You are familiar. It's amazing to me, uh, this, this, this man who died of cancer over the weekend, a giant among musicians, all musicians, but particular uh, drummers and lyricists. He wrote all the lyrics. It's amazing to me the outpouring of emotion and sentiment that is coming from everywhere. It hit me actually harder than I thought. I'm not a big Rush fan, never have been. Uh, I can appreciate what they do. And yet the respect and the appreciation and the admiration that, that I would feel for him and that so many people that kind of started out their tributes to him saying, well, I'm not... I don't really, it's not really my thing. Rush isn't my thing, but, and I think that's an incredible tribute to a man that was so important to music. You look at not just drummers, but as I said, all musicians out, out there. So it's a, it's a horrible loss um, for the music community. And it, from a, from a drumming, because a lot of times drummers, drummers are just kind of in the background. And he used that instrument in a way that right now, I think if you ask people, some of the greatest drummers ever to live he would be, he would be up there so uh i wanted to mention uh, mention that if you haven't listened to neil peart in the form of Rush, you should go check it out because he wrote all of the lyrics and the lyrics were incredibly in depth, sometimes for someone like me a little bit too much in depth. And his drumming was out of this world, especially when you sit down next to a drummer and you hear a drummer listen to him. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. So I wanted to mention that uh, going forward. Not, not that it's, you know, I want to bring everybody down, but I wanted to give tribute to someone who Indirectly, in my case, when it comes to music and, and that whole genre and that whole time, uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, influenced me in uh, so many different ways, and directly influenced a lot of other people who are die hard Rush fans out there that are uh, uh, unfortunately mourning the loss of Neil Peart. So rest in peace, Neil Peart. Uh, going forward, Mossy, ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. U.S. legend Brian McBride was named the general manager for the U.S. men's national team last week. I think that this is a solid hire. The man knows what the U.S. national team is all about, and I think he can have a positive influence on a team that, let's be honest, is still struggling to regain some relevancy and restore some faith. But it's hard to know exactly how McBride's influence will be seen and felt on this team because... I'm still not quite sure what the job is exactly. According to U.S. Soccer, he is to quote, oversee the development and management of the player pool, build and guide the culture within the U.S. men's national team environment, manage relationships with clubs, and represent the U.S. men's national team on the global scale, end quote. Now, that's a pretty broad and vague type of statement, probably by design. But unlike at a club, a national team GM doesn't deal with player contracts, transfers, trades, or week-to-week league machinations. Also, McBride's sole responsibility is the full men's national team. McBride's boss, sporting director Ernie Stewart, oversees all U.S. youth teams. McBride's responsibility is to hire and fire the U.S. men's national team coach. Now, usually a GM is hired, and then that person hires a coach. But Coach Greg Burhalter, we all know, was hired over a year ago by Ernie Stewart. So, if new GM Brian McBride doesn't believe that Greg Burhalter is the right coach, it is McBride's duty to make a change now. If he believes that Burhalter is the right man, then for better or worse, McBride and Berhalter are married and their fates are aligned. But regardless of what this job is or isn't, what constitutes success for Brian McBride in this position is pretty simple. And it's exactly the same thing for head coach Greg Burhalter qualify for the 2022 World Cup and do well at the 2022 World Cup. Now, both their jobs, and probably Stewart's, depend on it. All right, Mossy, there's my State of the Union for this week. What were your initial reactions to the uh, legend of uh, Brian McBride coming into the U.S. Men's National Team as a uh, GM?
2: I agree with everything you said. Uh, There's this age-old debate about former players being handed plum jobs and not necessarily qualified for, and if this was a club— Uh, we'd be asking hard questions about brian mcbride's background does he have the business acumen to negotiate deals and manage the salary cap but at the international level As far as I can tell, the job requirement here is to know a lot about soccer and to have people skills. And in the case of McBride, check, check. So I agree with you. I think it's a good hire. But like you, I'm also still trying to figure out exactly what this job entails. Well, but it also, uh, it
1: doesn't mean, though, that having a front office type of experience couldn't be beneficial to uh, to that position because... You know, establishing relationships. And I think even in the statement that they said, and, and while I'm still trying to figure out and it's still a little hazy as to what the actual role entails, I do think that a major responsibility, whether it's for Brian McBride, and I think specifically it will be for him, or Ernie Stewart from a much more 30,000 foot type of level, is those relationships, establishing them, fostering them, nurturing them, because. The ability to have players in a good situation, your players that are playing on the national team in a good situation, is important. And to be able to have those players let go for camps uh, at, at the appropriate times, that's part uh, That's part of your job. I think that there was initially when Brian McBride was, was named um, over the weekend, And uh, and last week, there was this feeling that this was much more because of what Brian McBride represented, and that this was a PR type of move. Now, first off, let me be very clear: Uh, if anybody can use good PR, if anybody can do smart and strategic type, can use good smart and strategic type of a PR, it is the U.S. Men's (laughs) National Team. So, doing something for the PR effects and having somebody that people. Uh, respect that people enjoy, that people will listen to, that's a good thing. Now, in no way am I saying that this was done all for the 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 PR of it, but I think that because the role is still kind of unknown as to what it's going to be or, or what it is right now, I think that there was this idea of, look, let's put this legend in place and people will assume that it will just automatically ooze from him and that culture that they talk about which is part of the even in the job description that they gave us establishing that, that culture or reestablishing that culture I guess if you will is just going to ooze out onto the next generation some of that is true some of it isn't and to your point about you know uh, jobs for the lads jobs for the boys they have this you know this saying over the years that's that's absolutely true and I've benefited from it in the past. Brian McBride benefits. If Brian McBride's name wasn't Brian McBride, I doubt, given his qualifications or lack of qualifications right now, that he would be put in that position. It doesn't mean that he can't be great at that position. I'm just still curious, as, and, I'm, and I know you are too, as to what being, what being great in that position entails, which is why in my state of the union, I said, really, it just comes down to the team does well, and Brian McBride has done well.
2: As you mentioned, the coaching dynamic is a little bit odd in that he's inheriting a manager he didn't hire. Let's play out your scenario. Mm-hmm. Let's say Brian McBride walked into Ernie Stewart's office this week and said, I think you made a mistake hiring Burhalter He's the wrong man for the job, and I want to get rid of him now. What do you suppose Ernie Stewart's response would be?
1: By the way, hats off to Ernie Stewart for insulating himself or buffering himself yet once again as he, as he falls upward into, these, uh, into this position here and kind of putting it all on Brian McBride. But Ernie Stewart has hired now both the head coach and now the, uh, the GM. Look, I don't think that because Greg Berhalter is so new, relatively new to his job that you hire a GM it, that isn't going to be positive on the coach that you have. But if he's not, like you said, uh, then you got to, you got to, that would be the ultimate power move from Brian McBride. He goes, oh, you think that this is just a uh, vanity type of uh, image type of hire? Bam, come in, fire Greg Burhalter and bring in who you think, who you think is appropriate. And I'm laughing about it right now, but that's now the job. I think that's one of the biggest parts of the job is Brian McBride. Now, if you believe that Greg Burhalter is the man uh, in this position To get this team where it needs to go, which is to qualify and do well in the World Cup, then fine. But now it's on you because you have the opportunity. They've made it very, very clear to me. I I double-checked it. They said, Brian McBride is in charge of hiring and firing the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. All right, then he's your coach. Or you get rid of him. I don't think that, they, that they're going to get rid of him. So fine, it's it's on it's on him. And if he came in and you know went and I mean I mean he could really drop the mic if you will <laughs> and and go and uh, I don't know hire Jesse Marsh back or something like that. What the uh, what the masses are screaming for? Or Tata? You think? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, that would be that would be crazy. I don't look, I don't think that that is going to happen and I don't think that Ernie Stewart would have signed off on this type of hire without if if somebody had come in and said the first thing I'm doing is is firing <laughs> Greg Burhalter. Berhal-
2: what about if McBride and Berhalter strongly disagree on a certain player being called up or not being called up? If McBride tried to influence those decisions, would that be overstepping his bounds and undermining Burhalter or as you understand this job, that is part of it, and he does deserve a say in that. No,
1: I, this is, again, where, you know, you had Ernie Stewart in this position. And then th- th- at, that t- at that time, Kate Margraff, who, by the way, was involved in the hiring of Brian McBride. And also, I should, I should point out, and I, we're not getting too much in the weeds because this is important stuff to know. So there's three positions. Ernie Stewart oversees everything in terms of the coaches, whether it's Vaca, whether it's uh, Greg Burhalter, whether it is the GMs, now Kate Margraff and uh, Brian McBride. They all report to Ernie Stewart, okay? Greg Burhalter reports now to Brian McBride, okay? Kate Margraff, there's a distinction. She is not the equivalent of my, uh, Brian McBride because Brian McBride's only job is the first team, the national team, the U.S. men's national team, all right? Kate is in charge of both the women's national team and everything else underneath in terms of the women's side, which is why she's uh, uh, director of football, I think, is also they, uh, they, they, they've they given her that type of thing. So it's not a it's not a like-for-like type of situation. But they had Ernie Stewart, who could have done all that on one side, and then Kate Margraf on the other side, and they elevated Ernie Stewart right now. So they're creating more... Titles—they're <laughs> obviously paying more money because they're hiring more people, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the org chart is starting to get <laughs> very plentiful, uh, shall we? Uh, shall we say now? So, uh, what was the question? <laughs> um,
2: and if they disagree over players getting called yeah, up, not I, called look, up. Look,
1: this is Brian McBride's team, okay? If Ernie Stewart is calling the shots, then I—I I want to know that. I think Ernie Stewart is facilitating what Brian McBride wants right now. So if Brian McBride believes that Josh Sargent should play no part going forward ever, or Sergio Dest should play no part going forward in the U.S. men's national team, then that's the way that it should be. I and mean, yes, they have conversations. I'm being a little flip, but yes, they're going to have conversations. And you want somebody to challenge you on your opinion. But if I put you in charge of something, okay, I have to give you the ownership and I have to give you the opportunity to make those ultimate uh, to make those ultimate calls. Now, if I believe that what you're doing is detrimental to the the, the bigger picture and the bigger machine there, it's my responsibility to say, no, we're not going to do that. Or something's just so crazy, we're not gonna it's not gonna happen. But as far as a player, now if he if he came in and said, Christian Pulisic is not gonna be involved with my team. Now that one, maybe you make an executive decision <laughs> from the top and say, well, I'm sorry, but that he is gonna be. But I do think you need to give Brian McBride, if he truly is not just a um, just uh, just a face and a name, if he truly is responsible, then give him the responsibility to do what he thinks is appropriate. And maybe some things that are unpopular. Externally, they might be unpopular, or internally, even with people, and maybe even with his boss that might be unpopular. But you hired him, and it's on you. And ultimately, as we've said before, if the U.S. doesn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup, none of this stuff happens. None of this craziness well, happens. Well, that's happens. already happened. What? Twenty-two, you mean? <laughs> Twenty-two. No, sorry. No, 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 no. For the eighteen.
2: Oh, if I'm they, sorry. I'm when sorry. What they didn't, didn't qualify
1: mean. is what I'm saying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In 2018, if the U.S. Qual- sorry, if the U.S. qualified for 2018, none of this happens. We're not having these types of conversations. Nobody, to be quite honest, probably nobody even knows who you know the position or the org chart uh, when it comes to uh, the national team. So. So that's why I say their only job is. You can talk about development. You can talk about, uh, you know, getting into, um, you know, the grassroots, and you can talk about all the different things and culture and stuff like that. People just want to win. People want to qualify for the World Cup and do well in the World Cup.
2: Alex, in my defense, did you think Alexi misspoke there when he said I did. 2018? Mi- I did misspeak. Uh, okay, maybe yeah, so a little. I wasn't bit. wasn't the only one. That, but you're, I you're the, the savant over thinking. there, and you can't even you know <laughs> meet me halfway. I mean you know. <laughs> so to understand this. Brian McBride decides he wants to fire Greg Berhalter. Right. He then has to take that to Ernie Stewart, who then has to take that to a CEO, right? Right. then a, has to take uh, that to there's Carlos Cordero. There's
1: a group. Yeah. Now, because, you know, the, everything is by consensus now over right. at the, uh, and we've talked about this before where sometime it, it is analysis by paralysis, but it is a, maybe an overcompensation now for what was a lot in truth where it was much more of a, uh, dictatorship, and there wasn't the vetting that is now going on. So maybe it takes longer, maybe it's more, uh, more difficult, but yes. But, but don't think for a second that Ernie Stewart's voice doesn't have added weight compared to others uh, when, you, when you're going forward. So look, this is a uh, situation I'll be interested to see. You know, here's another, uh, by the way, it's interesting that both GMs of the U.S. Women's National Team and Men's National Team uh, come from a broadcasting background. Okay, uh, Brian McBride and Kate Margrath both uh, have uh, done stellar work over the years broadcasting. We've worked with Brian here at Fox. I've known Kate and actually worked with her probably years ago at ESPN, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that there is an understanding of the game that that is beneficial and a, fa- a face of the game that you see in the broadcast world that is beneficial. Does it supersede or compensate for a complete lack of front office experience? It Maybe, maybe not. We'll we'll see. Brian McBride's got his, I think he's got his work cut out for him. Um, but I think that Brian McBride, as I said in the State of the Union, ultimately can be a very positive influence going forward.
2: And full disclosure, on a personal level, I am biased here. As you mentioned, uh, Brian McBride worked at Fox. He is maybe the nicest person I've ever met in my life. Don't believe uh, it. Don't I believe love McBride. It. Don't believe any and, of that. And I, <laughs> and I do think those people skills, as you mentioned, could help when it comes to getting players released by clubs or even in these dual yep. citizenship situations and trying to sell it. a player to, to choose the U.S. Uh, so, it yeah.
1: is. And there is, a, uh, there is a recruiting aspect now that is much more important when it comes to all national teams but obviously very important to a u.s uh uh, national team now i also just before we go i want to make that very clear in the distinction between kate margraf and brian mcbride part of the reason for that is that the two jobs can be very different there's a much bigger player pool when it comes to the national team and so that one job of the men's national team therefore is that much bigger because there's so many more players the international aspect of it, which is something that, yes, there are international players that have played on the U.S. Women's National Team, but the reality is that it's mostly domestic uh, players. And so you're not dealing with that international aspect of it and those relationships that we're, we're talking about. And so that's, I think, why this separation has happened, even though even though it may look like they're doing the same job, their jobs entail different uh, different things. And that's why more can go on, her, on Kate Margraff's plate as opposed to Brian McBride's but it's amazing, and the you know the the palace intrigue and all the uh, the stuff that uh, is going on internally at U.S. Soccer that I know nothing uh, nothing about, but I can only I can only imagine. And it all gets solved, and it all goes away when uh, teams qualify and do well. So whether it's the women, obviously they have Olympic qualifying coming up, which they should breeze through, no problem, uh, and then do well in the Olympics next summer, and then continue on in the World Cup. And then we're going to talk later in the pod uh, about the uh, the men's Olympic. Uh, pathway. But that's got to be part of it. And then, uh, but that's not, by the way, the Olympics, Brian McBride has, has nothing to do with the Olympics. So that's not, that's not him. He washes his hands of the whole thing. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't communicate and they don't need to uh, communicate. And that, and Brian McBride as the GM of the men's national team, just because his responsibility isn't the youth teams doesn't mean he can't be, or shouldn't be aware of what's, uh, what's going on. But fascinating stuff going on uh, off the field as this US Soccer <laughs> Federation continues to uh, twirl and twist and roll, uh, on into, uh, into 2020. And what we all hope, uh, we can all, di- you know, have just in different ideas about how good this is, but I think we all hope for, for good things on and off the field, whether it's the men's side, the women's side for all the people in place. And if it doesn't happen, you get them out of there. So anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right. Moving on. Hello people. Alexi here. More of the state of the union podcast is on the way, but first I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part, it's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free 7-day trial today. Now back to the show.
0: Mossy makes the case.
1: Okay, it's that time again. Time for uh, Mossy makes the case. What are you casing for this week, Mossy?
2: First of all, let me say we're taping this on a Monday morning. Yes, we I are. know we remind you of that every week, but it's very pertinent uh, this week because I am casing about Ernesto Valverde, and uh, as of yet, it is not official, but I am operating under the premise that he will be sacked this week, so keep that in mind as we progress. And he is who? Uh, the Barcelona manager. (laughs) So, my case is that Ernesto Valverde is paying the price for Spanish football spreading its wings. When Jose Mourinho was the Real Madrid manager, he once described the Spanish Super Cup as the most important trophy of the preseason and the least important trophy of the season, which I thought was an apt description for the gray area that all these domestic Super Cups and the Community Shield occupy in the calendar. But this season, the Spanish Federation chose to make more of it than that, Uh, They staged their Super Cup in the middle of the campaign and turned it into a four-team tournament which took place this past week in Saudi Arabia. Most were in favor of the idea One man who was not was Barcelona manager Ernesto Valverde. Now he framed his disagreement in traditionalist terms, talking about how you should have to have won a trophy the previous season to compete for the Super Cup, but it doesn't take a psychiatrist to figure out that there was an element of self-preservation. He knew he was close to the edge, and the last thing he needed was an intense competitive match against Atletico Madrid. Sure enough, Barcelona lost that match, and Valverde is set to be sacked this week, ending his two and a half year spell in charge. To be clear, Ernesto Valverde is not being sacked, just for losing one match to Atletico Madrid nor is he being sacked merely because of the Champions League collapses against Roma and Liverpool the last two seasons yes like all super clubs Barcelona very much want to win the Champions League but more than any other club there's an obsession with style of play which is baked into the analysis of the manager a big reason why Valverde is gone is because Barcelona folk fundamentally don't like the way they've been playing under him and for evidence of that look no further than who their top choice is to replace him: Xavi (laughs) A man who possesses no Champions League winning pedigree as manager and frankly possesses very little coaching resume at all, but who more than any other player over the last 20 years symbolizes this so-called Barcelona DNA. Whoever ends up taking over, if it's Xavi or somebody else, I wish him luck because they'll be occupying arguably the most demanding coaching position in all of sports. Wow, interesting. Uh,
1: a, a couple of things and you know, we've we've now touched on it in a couple of segments now about the the willingness of I guess it would be clubs and owners, to be glazed over by the, the stardom or the success that has come from players uh, in the past. And, look, this happens in, in life. This happens in politics. We see, you know, whether it's in incredibly historic last names or whatever that are given, that are given opportunities. But, but I think you hit it in the, in the middle of your, uh, Masi makes the case where you pinpointed ultimately what I think separates Barcelona uh, and not, not makes it unique. There are other other teams. But for the most part, I think we associate with Barcelona. And that is the style of play. And the expectation that has been created over the years that this is going to be, you know, nice club, right? It's going to be more than just a team that you watch. It is going to give you something that you can't see elsewhere. It is going to be romantic. It is going to be expansive. And you got to be able to fulfill that. And it's not, it's not only the, the passing and the stuff that goes on the field, it's everything. And look, n- nobody represents that uh, other than Messi, than someone, and maybe I would even argue that Xavi, from a, a, a big picture standpoint maybe represents it even, even more so. And so it, it makes perfect sense that they would fall back on something like this. And by the way, okay, uh, you talk about his resume and the things that, that have and haven't happened. When we talk about, uh, who's that coach uh, for Real Madrid? uh, Zinedine uh, Zidane. Yes, that guy, okay? He did not have a stellar and long type of resume, and it's worked out pretty well for him.
2: And even a better example here... Pep Guardiola.
1: Yes, I've heard of him too. I think they're trying
2: to recreate that. This this is going to be the first time they've sacked a manager uh, mid-season since 2003. And they're clearly out of practice doing it because they've completely bungled how they've handled this and they've taken a PR lambasting. They've let Valverde twist in the wind for several days here while they were publicly courting other managers, including Xavi. And it sounds like Xavi was so put off by how this was handled that it contributed to him saying no. But the key is he's not saying no, he's saying not yet. And I think the expectation is that he is going to take over in the summer. He wants to start from scratch at the beginning of a season. And so they're, they're going to have to find their Hansi Flick here and install kind of a, an interim manager for the next four months. So I think that's where we're headed here with the situation. If
1: you're someone like Ajavi, like a, a huge name, uh, an incredibly famous player for what you did on the field, and you maybe are just starting out your coaching uh, situation, would you rather go into a super club right there and be given you know all the tools that you possibly need, with the recognition that it still takes a certain type of skill to manage the best players in the world to manage those super clubs, or to go someplace else where you can coach them up where you don't have that type of pressure, which you think that would be better? I think it's I think it's hard because you mentioned, uh, we mentioned Zinedine Zidane, and we mentioned Pep, and stuff like that. It's not always going to go that way, okay? And you can very, very quickly start to um, sully your image, shall we say? And we look at Vieira, we look at uh, Thierry Henry, and we, I mean the, the list goes on and on and on of, of huge name players that have come in and haven't been able to actually translate that. So why do you think that Javi is a Zinedine Zidane type-esque person, or a PEP-esque person, as opposed to any of the other names, and there's a lot more names out there that didn't work out.
2: It's a great question. There are arguments both ways. I think if I had the sort of association with a club that Xavi has with Barcelona, then I would prefer that to a lesser club because I think that it, that would buy him some time. You know, They're not going to run out a club legend like that. So I think if he does take over, he will be given some time more than somebody who wasn't Xavi perhaps would be given if things don't go well right away. So I think it actually would be a situation conducive to success.
1: I think it's also you have to be practical uh, and smart about it from a, from a managing coaching perspective in that. The resume of your playing career only lasts so long, okay? But then you have the resume of your coaching career. And just as a player being on the books at Arsenal or Chelsea or any of the big, you know, obviously Real Madrid and and Barcelona, that is cachet that you can use for a number of years to move on. So even if you go and coach Barcelona, it doesn't work out well, you still coach Barcelona, You're going to get other jobs. If you go coach a little team or a smaller team uh, or a team that's not very good and you fail there, then people are going to like, well, not only have you not coached anywhere big, but even when you did coach, you sucked. And that's not going to get you other jobs going forward.
2: One other note on Barcelona, the Valverde stuff kind of overshadowed this last few days, but uh, Luis Suarez yes. uh, out four months, which virtually means uh, the rest of yeah. the season. And interestingly, two of the names that have popped up as possibilities if they do go out and get a striker this January are Carlos Vela and Gabi Gol. Obviously, both of interest to us. Can you imagine
1: the Euro snobbery head <laughs> explosion that would occur if Carlos Vela was tapped
2: to be the replacement to come into Barcelona and play up top? Let me say this, by the way. Tiki Taka is alive and well in Spain, but it's now being played by Real Madrid. Uh, One of the interesting developments of the Spanish Super Cup is that Real Madrid unveiled... Uh, this lineup with five midfielders. They played Casemiro, Modric, Cruz, uh, Federico Valverde, and Isco all together with one up top, who was Jovic filling in for the injured Benzema. And uh, against uh, Valencia, was a joy to watch. I mean, they had like 70% possession, completed 800 passes. You thought you were watching Pep's Barcelona. The way they moved the ball around with fluidity was just... Absolute joy. Uh, didn't work quite as well against Atletico Madrid. Simeone was prepared for it. He pressed them really high. He kind of disrupted their rhythm. But still, I think it's it's a way forward. Uh, now, obviously, when Hazard is fit, uh, presumably he'll step in and Zidane will drop one of the midfielders. But still, I think that contributed to this whole Barcelona thing that they were staring at their arch rivals playing sort of the style of play that they hold near and dear to their hearts. So I think that didn't help Valverde's case either. And and frankly, watching Real Madrid play these days, I can't stop thinking about that Champions League tie against Manchester City and how fascinating that's going to be with how Real Madrid are trying to play now versus Manchester City and how they play. Uh, so that's going to be fascinating. Uh, the four teams involved in the Spanish Super Cup are all in the Champions League knockout stage. So yeah. and, and you know we, we've talked about how after relinquishing the belt to England last season, Spain, they very much want to reassert their, their dominance in Europe. And so I'm now looking at these teams through that lens as Atletico get ready to face Liverpool, Real Madrid face Manchester City. Barcelona take on Napoli. Valencia take on Atalanta. And so, I mean, it was kind of fascinating to look at those teams in that way.
1: Okay, a couple questions to finish off here. Do you think that the uh, Spanish Super Cup continues to be played midseason and continues to be played in Saudi Arabia or outside of Spain?
2: Yes. Prior to the Valverde news breaking, full disclosure, this was going to be the crux of my Mossy makes the case. You know, this is clearly another effort to compete with the Premier League for global prestige. I remember not long ago, La Liga was exploring the possibility of staging a game in the United States. That idea didn't come off, but this one did. And although I'm typically not a fan of the bloated calendar and all that. I thought this was a success. It elevated it. Yeah. Right? Taking it out of the preseason and holding it now, It, it, it these these clubs were in the flow of, of their season and, and it meant the matches had more juice. And the Barcelona Atletico semifinal was a classic. The Real Madrid Atletico final, even though it was no-no, I found the match uh, very compelling. So I thought it was overall a great advertisement for Spanish football. Uh, I know Italy's been doing this the last couple of years of holding their Super Cup in the middle of the season in, in Saudi Arabia. France is for a decade now has been holding their Super Cup outside of France but they still do it at the beginning of the season so you, you right. don't get away from that whole preseasonish feel but I think the Bundesliga will probably follow suit eventually the one that won't is England because we know they're traditionalists at heart and having the community shield be the curtain raiser at Wembley every year they, they love that and so they're not going to touch that but I think all the other leagues in this effort to compete with uh, the Premier League will and as you, as you mentioned in a weird way this Valverde uh, news sort of elevated it, yep. the importance of the Spanish Super Cup because it contributed to a, a, a Barcelona manager getting fired Fired. tired," Let me make one last comment sure. here. When we uh, did our team of the decade mm-hmm. on our last podcast of 2019, uh, for the manager, uh, you went with Pep, I went with Klopp. Uh, in retrospect, I kind of overthought it. I, I think it's clearly Pep is the manager of the decade. But one name that we didn't mention at all is Diego Simeone, who took over at Atletico Madrid in December of 2011 and is still there in 2020, So, which this day and age is remarkable. And so his his time there sort of more or less spanned this whole decade. And I continue to be amazed by the degree to which like in, the, in what's ostensibly this sort of glamour super club era in European football, how Atletico have crashed the party and and I, I equate them to like the bad boy pistons of like the late 80s who yeah, crashed that you know yeah, that that glamour year in the nba with uh, uh lakers celtics bulls michael jordan larry bird magic johnson and and here were the pistons sort of you know in the middle of all that and 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 i i, I view atletico the same way and and here this whole spanish super cup i think was set up for real madrid barcelona but atletico go out they beat barcelona and Almost beat Real Madrid. I thought it was a dead even game. Frankly, Atletico even might have shaded it in terms of the chances. You had that Federico Valverde play that everybody's talking about, and they end up losing on penalties. But here they are, you know, going toe to toe with those clubs in La Liga. They're Real Madrid and Barcelona are level on points, but Atletico are only five back. They're right in the thick of that race. And I continue to be impressed. And now we'll see what he can do against Liverpool in the Champions League. That might be a tall order with this team, but still, I continue to be amazed that Diego Simeone keeps Atletico in the mix in in the upper levels of the sport. And but, I, but
1: the way he's doing it isn't isn't it easier mossy and therefore less admirable to muck it up I mean <laughs> no, but but if, if that's what he's done constantly nobody ever has accused him of being too pretty okay nobody has ever accused his teams of being romantic of being what we just explained were and, and are at times Barcelona and and now you're saying even uh, Real Madrid is playing it like that isn't that and I know they have better players Uh, But isn't that harder to be able to do it isn't it isn't it when it really comes down to it uh, Roy Wegley used to constantly say this uh, he was a forward for the US national team even during the game He would look back at me as a center back and scream at me (laughs) It's much more difficult to to create than destroy Uh, And his point was as I'm screaming at him for not scoring a goal and I'm, I'm back kicking people all over the place right now It isn't isn't there some truth to that?
2: There is some truth to that, and, and we'll end it on this to bring it back full circle. I think there's a lot of merit to what Simeone does at Atlético, but it certainly disqualifies him from ever being the Barcelona coach. That's true. <laughs> he could win 10 straight Champions League titles at Atlético. They're never going to hire a coach <laughs> like that at Barcelona.
1: <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what happens. Like, as Mossy said, we are, we are doing this kind of in real time, so it, it seems that Valverde is going to go. If and when that happens, could be as soon as we—usually, as, as soon as we stop recording, it's, go, it's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see who they put in there. And if Xavi reassesses the situation and says, well, you know, if, if, if you really, really need me, I'm going to do this for you. And the benevolent Xavi comes back into the, uh, the picture. All right, moving on.
0: Ask Alexei.
1: All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexa out there and you send us uh, questions, comments, concerns out there and uh, we pick two or three of them off the, uh, what do you call them, the social media platforms out there and we use them uh, and that's what's going to happen here. Before I move on though, our good friend Alex told us that uh, in the previous segment, you, you you said, what was the word you said? Uh, advertisement. Oh my God, I can't, I, it's like I don't even know you. I mean, it's such a controversy that you are creating here. <laughs>
2: What was the other one that you
1: said after that? Gantry.
2: Gantry. Oh. Well, that's Kyle Martino gantry. It drives me crazy. <laughs> but I can't. I guess I can't talk anymore. Oh goodness. Oh, uh, goodness. All right. Are we all ready right. So for yeah. What are, the, yeah what are the people think. want to know this week? First up at 19 NCAA. How did the first couple of rounds of the MLS Super Draft look?
1: Oh well, let's see. Okay, so the it's so, so interesting. So the MLS Super Draft happened. It was rebranded years ago with the the super thing that. Um, that we talk so much about. Uh, And at times it was super. At times some really good talent has emerged from the draft. Not so much anymore, and it's much less than super uh, right now, so much so that there wasn't even a a central location for the draft to happen. It just kind of happened at at the different places. i got to give kudos over to uh, the folks at Major League Soccer in cooperation with ESPN. Uh, They did a really good job televising it, for what it is right now, and guys like uh, Matt Doyle and Taylor Twelman, they did a good job of giving everybody an idea of what it is. But you know, it's hard at times to make it something that it isn't. And the reality is that there are still talented players that can come out of the super draft. But the day, this day and age, with the international influence that we've talked so much about here on the State of the Union podcast, with the development of developmental academies and USL teams that MLS teams have, and the homegrown type of pathway that is so prevalent for so many teams, so much so that even you got teams like Philadelphia that has, for the last two years, given up all of their drafts because they just don't see the value in them. And so they're going to get value from someplace else. It is anything but super right now. Intra miami though, as an expansion team, you would be not surprised to hear Got a couple of players, including the first uh, pick, Robbie Robinson, a forward from Clemson. So our friend Stuart Holden's got to be happy. He needs a little bit of uh, media training, shall we say. was not riveting stuff from uh, Mr. Robinson to start with, but he's there to score goals. So if you score goals, it really doesn't matter what you say in front of the, uh, front of the camera. It was fun also to see... Jack Mayer, who is from, where is he from? Indiana, the number two pick for Nashville. They actually had a bus of Nashville front office people and Nashville supporters go to the kid's house because all the kids, and they are still kids, had house parties, and then they would see their name and their family was there. They would have a big party celebrate. And Nashville actually had a bus roll up to the front of the kid's uh, house, uh, go in, sing, bring him back out, introduce him to everybody. That was was a, a neat little viral thing. David Beckham called. Robbie Robinson. So in general, it was anticlimactic because of the state of where we are right now when it comes to college soccer. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on in the uh, the pod. I'm going to finish off the pod with a little thing about college soccer. But when it really comes down to it, if you can find one player out of the draft that can make an impact. And when I say an impact, it's literally stepping on the field because a lot of these players are going to play on your second team, your USL team. A lot of these players are going to be off the bench. A lot of these players are going to be training session types of players, very few of them are going to make an impact. But if you can find a player that does that, you have done your job. And I think if you do ignore it, you ignore it at your own peril. I don't think you're doing your job if you completely ignore the uh, the college pathway right now. And you can find good players. It just takes a whole lot more work. And there's a whole lot more competition. And it's harder than the pathways that exist now when it comes to Like I said, your homegrowns and more importantly, uh, your international influx of talent that we know is so is so important. So it came, it went. And I do. There's a nostalgia piece of, of this. And I was talking to some people for years and years. We used to go down, go to the MLS combine and then go to the coaching convention which is where they would have the mls super draft and it was a really really influential and important time yes it was a boondoggle some of it and we had some really really fun times but there also was an element of understanding and education and you got to be with the gms and the coaches and the players and you you kind of formulated a perspective and an understanding whether it was rumors or fact uh, or relationships that you have that provided you ammunition throughout the year and we didn't have that this year and so something was lost but you know. Time, time changes everything, and we move on and, and we evolve. And certainly, when it comes to the, the super draft, the MLS super draft, it has evolved or devolved, if you will, uh, relative to what the world is right now and what the soccer is, uh, the soccer world is right now when it comes to uh, major league soccer and that pathway to get there. What else, Mossy?
2: Next up at Vote JD Twenty One. Hey, Alexi. Groups were just announced for Olympic qualifying. Mexico, USA, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica. Tough draw. Big question. Are we qualifying?
1: (sighs) That's the only question. Let's be honest. Uh, Jason Christ, the head coach of the under-23 men's national team. Uh, We do know that the difference between the men's team and the women's team, or men's Olympics and women's Olympics, is the men's, as a concession to FIFA for many, many uh, years now, has been under-23. Originally, it was under 23 only, and then they changed it in 1996, where it was under 23, but you could add three overage players at the Olympics. So not during qualifying, but at the at the Olympics. So that's what it is right now, as opposed to the women's Olympic soccer, which is full teams and is uh, just a lesser version of a of a World Cup. We have not qualified since uh, 2008. I think I said last week. Um, this is not an easy group. <laughs> the half empty or half full is. All right. Well, you're in a group with Mexico, uh, Costa Rica, which Mexico can beat you. Costa Rica can beat you. And by the way, this is going to be even that much more difficult because you're not playing in the U.S. A lot of times the tournament has been in the U.S., even though we have failed to use that to our advantage. This is actually going to be in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. So you're playing the host nation in Mexico. And by the way, our biggest competitor, and by the way, a very, very good team and a team that is qualified for Olympics after Olympics after Olympics. So they can beat you. And it would not be crazy for them to beat you, especially in Mexico. Costa Rica, good team. All right. Got to beat Dominican Republic. Obviously, and get the, the, uh, the three points. For those that don't know, there's two groups of four. The top two come out. There's a semifinal. If you win your semifinal game, you go to the Olympics because they send two teams. Uh, so once you've won your semifinal game, uh, there is a final game, but it really doesn't matter because you're both going to the Olympics. So it's much more for, uh, for seeding. I still see the U.S. figuring out a way. Look, you just got to be one or two in the group. So figure out a way to get the points against the Dominican Republic and Costa Rica, take your chances against Mexico. Even if you come out two, the fact is that in the other group, you're not going to have to face Mexico anymore. So the the danger would have been coming out of your group and then having to face Mexico in that one of those semifinals. You're not going to have to worry, uh, worry about that. So the group is going to be the hardest thing. I think that uh, Jason Christ gets it done. I think he has to get it done. I think for the future of the full men's national team, this is crucial. We have wasted too many generations right now of not being given the opportunity to send a group that then a certain percentage of matriculate up to the national team. And that experience is huge. I think it's really, really important. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I think that ultimately they get it done.
2: Incidentally, Conmebol have brought back an Olympic qualifying tournament for the first time since 2004. What was it before? The last three cycles, they've used the under-20 championship as qualifying for the Olympics, but they have decided in this cycle to actually bring back an under-23 tournament, which gets on their way in Colombia this upcoming weekend. no money. Um, <laughs> more as games, expected, more money. yeah. As expected, Brazil took an absolute beating when it came to getting players released from European clubs. So it's a they need Brian McBride on the case. Uh, yeah, I am not overly sanguine about our hopes. It's uh, ten teams competing for two spots, and Brazil, who are the reigning gold medal winners, I think it's a fifty-fifty at best really? to qualify. Yeah, this tournament's going to be trouble.
1: Does Brazil care more than other countries about the Olympics? I know they've done well, obviously. I I, I get the feeling that they do.
2: The interesting. They they did when they had never won a gold medal. Okay. Now that they got that out of the way, uh, I think it's gonna the interest level is gonna decline a little bit. What's interesting is you have the Euros and the Copa America this summer, along with the Olympics. Mm. Neymar is already making some noise about wanting to play in both the Copa America and the Olympics. And Mbappe, uh, even more. Strongly than Neymar is saying he wants to play in both the Euros and the Olympics. Now I'm sure PSG or whoever his employer is come this summer will have something to say that. about that. I love
1: that. that. I love that from both of them. I but, love, uh, I love that. They,
2: uh, but yeah, so keep an eye on that. So things. and it's in Tokyo, and although the the, the soccer tournament occurs right in, the, in other cities. Yes. I mean, they, yes. Yeah, they, now, uh,
1: now keep in mind, uh, someone like Christian Pulisic can not be an overage player. He can actually play in the so the U.S. the team that qualifies won't necessarily be the team that goes uh, goes next summer. We talk about some of these young players that we have that can actually qualify, and then part of the fun, once you do qualify, knock on wood, is those three players, and what do you do? I was actually one of those overage players back in 1996, and conventional wisdom is you go up the spine, you got a goalkeeper, center back, forward, that, uh, that type of stuff, but it, it can be uh, any any number of players. But you know, who of the overage players out there, because we don't have a lot of overage players, would you pick to go to an Olympics if you uh, went? Let us know what you think. What else, Masi? And
2: finally, at Bu A. Wilson, what are your top three movies for a Disney Plus watch list? Did you just say Plus, like Canal Plus? What, what is your problem today? Um, that's, uh, how, how, that's, your French. that's how people have been pronouncing it. No, no, there are no people in the world no, that are I'm pronouncing Disney Plus. I'm telling Disney you. Disney Plus. Uh, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan uh, on, the, on the Ringer podcast. I listen to them every week. They, they call it Disney Plus. No,
1: they don't. Do they really? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're wrong. They're completely wrong. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Nobody does that. They shouldn't do that. Okay. All right. So the question was top three movies for a Disney Plus watch list. All right. So they got me. Disney got me, as I'm sure many of you out there have been. uh, It's also happened too. We've been watching The Mandalorian. I know this isn't movie type of stuff. So what I'm going to do here when it comes to the movies is I'm going to say no Star Wars. Okay. I'm going to take out Star Wars because I could have three Star Wars movies, but I'm going to take out the Star Wars franchise. And I know Mandalorian isn't, isn't, isn't a movie. It's a series. Uh, by the way, you know, long live Baby, jo- Baby Yoda. He is still living, so I'm not giving it away. But. Okay, so three movies. All right, this is what I'm going to go with. First, I'm going to go with The Sound of Music. All right. Have you seen this uh, flick, Mossy? Yes. You know this? It's a classic. One of the great movies of all time. I will die on that hill, without a doubt, Uh, alongside Maria. Just incredible soundtrack, incredible story, incredible pictures and colors, and just one of the great movies of all time. And had an incredible impact on me from an uh, early age. So I will always sit and watch The Sound of Music. How do you solve a problem like Mossy, huh? Okay, second, The Muppet Movie. I'm gonna go with The Muppet Movie, okay? Another classic in a very different way than The Sound of the Sound of Music, but as far as the impact and the influence that The Muppets had on me from an, uh, a young age, I mean, I remember being in the movie theater and going and watching uh, The Muppet Movie and, you know, riding like a, uh, you know, just riding next to Fozzie and... Uh, moving right along there we go that's it moving right along all the uh you know the wonderful numbers and the and the wonderful music behind that and the great characters animal somebody asked me about animal the other day on uh on twitter so that's number two and then before i give you my third one i'm gonna give you some also rands that i didn't pick but i could have one robin hood the animated version okay and only the animated version nothing else okay Uh, Robin Hood and Little John running through the fort. I love that. Old lady, lady. Okay, Uh, that one. Number two would uh, also ran would be Jungle Book. Band Necessities. The animated one once again. Okay, so everybody knows because there is only one and it is only the animated one. Uh, And then three from an also ran would be Tron. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. You probably saw the second version of it, which doesn't count either. The first tr- uh, Tron with Jeff Bridges and Bruce Boxletter. Uh, so those would be the All Sarans. So my third movie, and it's completely biased and uh, you know, something that I'm doing for myself, is a movie called The Big Green. It's a movie about a uh, bunch of misfit kids playing soccer. And the reason why I picked that movie is that I actually have a song on the soundtrack a song called Kicking Balls. If, you, if you're able to watch the movie from start to finish, if you make it through to the end, uh, you will hear my song at the very end of the, uh, 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 of the movie over the, uh, the credits. So that's my three. But my only caveat to The Big Green is this, uh, it's not yet available <laughs> evidently on Disney Plus, but it's coming in July. So when it comes in July, please check it out. And like I said, uh, I did a song for the uh, soundtrack, which appears at the very end of the movie. I, at least I hope it does.
2: On the topic of movies, yes. uh, the Oscar nominations came out today. Uh, here are the nine nominees for Best Picture. Oh, okay. Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, JoJo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Wow. Now, uh, Alex Dowd. I haven't seen a lot of those, though. Alex Dowd wants me to keep the powder dry here yes. because when yes. it gets we're closer, going to talk more about I'll it. Just, I'll just mention I've, I've seen six of the nine Best Picture nominees. I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, Little Women, or Marriage Story. Uh, I think it's been an excellent movie year. Of the six that I've seen, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in 1917 are my two favorites, both exceptional with Irishman and Parasite, maybe a slight notch below, but excellent as well. So uh, when, when it gets closer, I'll really break down these films and and, and how I think this is going to go. Cool.
1: All right. Well, I got, I got a bunch of screeners at home, so I got to with my SAG-AFTRA type of thing. And by the way,
2: one last thing before we move on. Yes. Uh, Last week you put it out on the pod that we're thinking of making changes in 2020. And Mm -hmm. if anybody has any suggestions at home, well, uh, young Adam Barnes sent this tweet, an idea to improve the state of the union podcast an ask Mossy segment, three questions for him specifically. Let us fans pick his brain.
1: Well, that's not even a segment. Okay. No, that's not happening. No chance. There's no, absolutely no chance of that happening.
2: I suspect Adam <laughs> Barnes will delete this tweet after hearing me say advertisement in Plus, <laughs> But uh, nevertheless, uh, it's out there. There's a, there's a public clamor for oh, there an is Ask Mossy Yeah. Our,
1: our <laughs> the latest series from Disney Plus, Mossy. Ask Mossy. Uh, yeah. Look, you can always ask Mossy. All right. Uh, no, we're not giving you a, a segment, but we we may we may ask some have some ask Mossy questions going forward. We do have some things in the works. Uh, we have um, I'm not giving anything away, but we have our 100th show on the horizon. Uh, coming up. And so we're going to do some different things to celebrate that, that that we are actually having a 100th show is pretty incredible, Mossy. All right. Anything else here from an Ask Alexi perspective?
2: Uh, No, that is it.
1: All right. Use that uh, hashtag Ask Alexi out there. And look, you can use hashtag Ask Mossy too. I don't care. there's, There's hashtags out there. Crank them out believe me i pick mossy's brain every single day uh every single week here on the pod uh, there's plenty to pick from uh there all right but use that uh hashtag ask alexi when you send us your comments questions concerns and my good friend david mossy uh, will be reading them out each and every week like he just did all right moving on
0: the back three
1: okay it's time for our back three where we look at some big stories games moments uh mossy what's in our back three this week
2: Begin with Christian Pulisic, who picked up an adductor injury in training. Frank Lampard described it as a nasty injury and said he will be out for a few weeks, which is a bit vague. I don't know if that means three weeks, five weeks, six weeks. But in any event, I know you taped a little uh, clip last week talking about it. Uh, Why don't you expand on that here, your thoughts on this news?
1: Well, you know, look, for those that have listened to the pod, and uh, when I taped that clip... As I mentioned last week, there's sometimes people will see these video clips and that don't listen to the pod. But if you listen to the pod, you know I've said many, many times that staying healthy, staying fit, avoiding injury is a skill. And it's something that Christian Polisic has yet to master. This is concerning the number of injuries, the types of injuries, and the consistency of injury that, that continue to keep him out. And look, he is. He is, I think he is one of the great talents in the world. That he's American is just he happens to be American. And I think for Chelsea, he is important. But the more he is out, the more opportunity it gives to uh, other people and the potential for being Wally Pipp. There you go, Mossy. I know how much you love that when I say that. So, you know, right now, we look at Christian Pulisic. First and foremost, because he's American. Okay. Well, first and foremost, because he's a great player, but also from an American perspective, we look at him because we're excited to see American doing well. An American doing well at a big, super club. I use that uh, you know, sparingly, but uh, <laughs> I know I'm looking over there at Alex. But also in at, in the EPL. But injuries um, can happen at the worst possible time. And if you aren't able to avoid them, look, the U.S. national team, as I, as I said in the clip, needs Christian Pulisic to qualify. They also need Christian Pulisic to do well in the World Cup. And if at the worst time, either in qualifying or, God forbid, at the World Cup, these injuries start to come along, that's that's a problem. It's a problem, obviously, for him from a personal perspective. It's also a, a practical problem for the national team. And I think back to great players whose careers were kind of derailed, and I think of the great Johnny O'Brien played for Ajax, played for the U.S. Uh, men's national team. And look, he was a great player. He could have been so much better. He missed so much time because he was injured constantly, had chronic ankle problems, and it, it's a problem. Now, when I say that it is a skill, people always come back to me and say, oh, no, you know, it's you're either built that way or you're not. And yes, there is a genetic component to it. But assessing a player means assessing their their potential for injury. And if you have a Christian polisic that can't be relied upon because he is constantly getting hurt, that's that's a problem. I hope that he kind of grows out of it and as because he's still sometimes we forget he's still very young and his body will continue to grow. And I think he will better understand when to live to fight another day, if you will. But this is, you know, that's it's not a good thing. You don't want to hear this. And he had kind of gotten over that hump. He was playing. He was scoring. He was doing well. And now you're right back where you, where you started to a certain extent. So let's hope that it is only a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, keep in mind he had a hamstring problem recently, which already halted some of his momentum. He was kind of a non-factor during the festive period. And this is apparently a, a new injury. And looking at Chelsea's schedule, we're in uh, mid-January. And if you look at it through, like, late February, they have Premier League games, home to Arsenal, away to Leicester, home to Manchester United, home to Tottenham, and a Champions League game home to Bayern Munich. So if it is, like, a six-week injury and he misses all of that, that would be a real shame. Those are some, yeah. some showcase yeah. matches for him. And, you know, the player on the Chelsea roster now that stands to benefit the most is Callum hudson Adoy, who began the season injured, took a while to shake off the rust, but now has scored in two straight games, and presumably his playing time is going to go up. Also, we'll see what Chelsea do in January. It doesn't look like they're looking at a winger right now. I I keep seeing striker and left back as the positions they're more focused on. So that wouldn't really affect Pulisic in any significant way, but still, they might end up feeling the need to sign a player at one of those wide attacking positions, and then that would be more competition for Pulisic when he gets back. So, yeah, I mean, so it's, yeah, I I agree with you. It's disappointing news. On the positive front with Americans, Leipzig, I don't know if you saw this, they sold one of their holding midfielders, Diego Demi, to Napoli uh, during this uh, transfer window, which uh, should mean even more playing time for Tyler Adams, who's healthy now, and I think with Pulisic out, uh, the spotlight is going to shift to Adams as far as Americans abroad. I think he's going to have a nice run of games for a Leipzig team that's leading the Bundesliga and that's getting ready to face Tottenham in the Champions League round of 16. M- remember, McKinney's out sure. too with that dislocated shoulder. So I think right now the focus is going to be on Tyler Adams. I've
1: said before, and I'll, I will say it again: I think when all is said and done, as important as Christian Pulisic is, and he is very important, Tyler Adams will be the most important component to the U.S. men's national team over the next. 10
2: years let's say by the way the Bundesliga does return this week uh, you would know that by looking at our rundown an absolute shocker by Alex Dow to not include that anywhere but nevertheless the the Bundesliga <laughs> is back we will be back at it this weekend we Up a early, up great out. game on Sunday I can't wait Hertha Berlin Jürgen Klinsmann hosting Bayern Munich on FS1 so oh, yes. uh, we have a busy weekend of all sorts of games but to me that that's the headliner Next up, uh, more Premier League. I'm going to go Liverpool-Tottenham first because uh, that was a fascinating game this weekend. Uh, What can you say about Liverpool that hasn't been said? Uh, Last 30 Premier League games dating back to last season, 29 wins and one draw. This season, 61 points from 21 games, the best start ever in Europe's top five leagues. And, you know... I don't want to criticize Jose Mourinho too much because, truth be told, I think he's actually comported himself well. But I was thinking about this. In the lead-up to this game, there was a lot of talk about this being a star-studded coaching matchup between Klopp and Mourinho. And a couple weeks from now, Tottenham face Manchester City, and that's going to be all about Pep versus Mourinho, renewing their rivalry. And I hate to say it, but it's starting to feel a little Ohio State Michigan-ish of trying to like build up this rivalry still between two entities that are not on the same level. It's, well, it's, the, is
1: it still a rivalry if you can't, can't compete?
2: Yeah, the Premier I mean. League right now belongs to Klopp and Pep. Those two guys are operating on a whole different level than Jose Mourinho. Uh, when Mourinho first got hired, that was a big deal. He's back, right? He's already, to me, fading into the background Uh, He can have a funny quip every now and then, but there's nothing from a results or performance standpoint interesting about Tottenham right now. So to me, he's kind of fading into uh, irrelevance. And and to me, my my big interest in the Premier League as a neutral week in, week out, is just marveling at the brilliance of these two teams. You know, watching Liverpool play, I thought the way they went in there and completely bossed that game in the first half at like 70-something percent possession, should have been winning like 3-0 at the half. Okay, second half got a bit sticky, but still, that first half performance told you all you need to know about that team. The performance against Leicester a couple weeks ago. City, who I know have been erratic, but on their day, my God, I mean, you watched against United in that League Cup game and against Villa this weekend. Those two teams are just functioning on a level that's amazing to watch.
1: Yeah, when it comes to Liverpool, I think that we are, thankfully, uh, we are incredibly privileged to be witnessing one of the great teams of all time. Uh, in terms of, obviously, the numbers that they're putting up, but the consistency and the entertainment it is something to behold. To be able to do it in the modern day is also something. Uh, and in the EPL, and I know I, at times I talk about the lack of parity that exists in a lot of the, the, the big leagues. At least the EPL, for the most part, has been better at at having more parity, and yet they are running away with it. It's not even a question right now. Even, even Liverpool can't mess this up, right? <laughs> uh, having said that, we were talking about this coming on air, that... In a strange way, because of the drama surrounding Liverpool not winning a title and, and not being able to get over that hump of winning an EPL title, I kind of wanted it to have more drama. It's there's there's Liverpool f- fans aren't going to care, okay? But there's something that's taken away from it because they're going to stroll to the title without anybody standing in their way, without any type of... Or anybody putting up a fight, and it's—I mean—you can hand it to them now. The EPL, from a title perspective, is done right now, and that it's that it's Liverpool will be historic, and it will take something away from the fact that it wasn't a run down the stretch, and then they finally they 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 finally got it. Like I said, for me. Not for the liverpool people i know my good friend keith Coskins probably listening as is zach kenway right now going no it doesn't matter or anything like that okay fine i'm just telling you from the outside it would be much more monumental and historic for me uh, and memorable if it was there was an actual competition i will say this i watched the uh, man city game over the weekend w- and in which they just completely demolished um aston villa right and it occurred to me that when we were watching some of these super clubs and that separation that happens. And this is just once again, that comparison of the manufactured parody uh, and the adherence to parity relative to the rest of the world that MLS has, we always, and and oftentimes when it comes to Man City and other super clubs, we say, these are games that they're supposed to win, or these are games that they're not supposed to win when we're talking about the opposition that's, that's bad or something like that. In MLS, we never say that. I don't go into a game broadcasting a game and saying, well, this is a game that Team X should win. These are the types of games that Team X should win. Even good teams, even LA, LA, even LAFC. But we do that in a lot of other leagues, including uh, the EPL, even though there is some more parity. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It's just interesting to me when I when I sat and watched that game, there was... Extolling the virtues of Man City and what they were doing and, and it was pretty and stuff like that But there was always this caveat but this is a team they should beat and they should always beat This is expected to beat the fans in the stadium <laughs> knew it when they uh, when they went in the team Let's be honest knew it uh, when they went in and so it was a, it was a fate of complete doesn't negate the fact that it, there was Beauty to be had and, and it, you can appreciate that but it would be interesting to see Which is why I think we like Champions League so much where that is not said this is a game they should win. This is a game that they that they should win.
2: A couple of interesting player notes regarding Manchester City. Uh, first up, Sergio Aguero, who yes. bagged the hat trick. And in doing so, uh, surpassed Thierry Henry as the highest scoring foreigner in Premier League history. We talked recently about players who have been sort of overshadowed by Messi and Ronaldo over the last decade, but who are coming upon milestones here that are making us take a step back. And realize, are like, oh, my God, these guys had incredible careers, too, and we should appreciate them more. And we've talked about Benzema and Lewandowski in that vein. Aguero right up there, too. Frankly, when we did that all-decade team, he... Should have been in the conversation, too, for one of those attacking positions. Just incredible player, right? The fact that he's never won the PFA Player of the Year is one of the most mind-boggling things ever. But, I mean, his numbers stack up with just about any striker that's ever played in the Premier League.
1: Do you think that when someone like Alan Shearer or Thierry Henry see that, do they go, yeah, but? uh, And it's not that they didn't play on good teams, but maybe in the back of their mind they think, that separation and the superness of the super clubs that we're talking about right now and the quality that they have from top to bottom and the depth that they have, you think in the back of their mind saying, that's, that's great, but if I was able to play on a team like that, think of, what I, think of what I could have done.
2: I think Aguero thinks if I had Warren Barton crossing me the ball, I'd have twice as many goals <laughs> as I have now. Uh, but yeah, I mean uh, you know, and keep in mind, before he even got to the Premier League, Aguero went to Atletico Madrid as a teenager and had fantastic yep. seasons in La Liga and and Argentina too. He's got forty something international goals. He's third most for Argentina behind just Messi and Batistuta. So, so he's what's had an the problem? incredible. Why do career. we
1: not why do we kind of dismiss him at times or just
2: Yeah, it 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 tends to go him, overlooked. I yeah. I mean, and by the way, his his contract is up after next season and he's already said he's definitely going back to Argentina. Uh, so it's just the rest of this season and one more season, and Pep's already acknowledged that that's going to be, you know, a major blow. We'll see if. Gabriel Jesus has shown enough in these under, in this understudy wow. role the last few years to be the guy that inherits the job or City going to have to go out and sign somebody else. But uh, So keep an eye on that. But in the meantime, Aguero is going to keep scoring and keep setting records. I and spell an opportunity
1: um, for the Columbus crew. <laughs> <laughs>
2: let, let, me, let me say one thing about Kevin De Bruyne. Yes. Two seasons ago, Manchester City had 100 points, uh, finished 19 points clear of the pack, and De Bruyne was the catalyst for it all. But Mo Salah went absolutely nuts for Liverpool. Remember, smashed all those scoring records, was objectively the best individual player in the Premier League. So when it came time to hand out the PFA Player of the Year award, there was sort of this philosophical debate. Do you give it to the best player on the best team or the best player period? You know, Does it have to be a city player to kind of acknowledge this incredible season they had? And it ended up being a very close vote and Salah ended up winning. It's interesting that two years later, we're sort of headed for the same debate but in reverse. Now it's Liverpool who are having this incredible season and are going to smash all these records and win the league easily. And there's going to be this sentiment that you should give it to a Liverpool player and there's no shortage of candidates like Mane and Salah and Van Dijk, even Alexander Arnold, but I would say objectively, Kevin De Bruyne has been the best individual player in the Premier League this season. In fact, I think you could go as far as to say he's been the second best player in the world this season behind Messi. He is is playing just flaming hot take coming from Mossy out of his mind. The pass this past weekend to Gabriel Jesus for the fourth goal. I mean, that was was
1: nice. (laughs) He crossed the ball, Mossy, against a crap team. Come on, he is
2: he is going to smash Thierry Henry's Premier. League single season assist record just a wonderful wonderful player and so I you know like I said we're gonna have the same debate in reverse here and I think if you apply the same logic as two seasons ago this time you should give it to De Bruyne which I know Liverpool fans will complain about but still is that it can we move on from England that's it
1: that's it we've given Aguero much too much time and space (laughs) and even then you threw him to the side and put uh, Kevin De Bruyne
2: in we'll end on this this is another example of something that we're gonna keep our powder dry a little bit Uh, but we should acknowledge it this week Uh, it's not a yet, but Chicharito... Maybe maybe as we speak right now. Chicharito to the LA Galaxy, it's looking like there's a distinct possibility this might happen. Chicharito is uh, wallowing on the bench at Sevilla. He's only scored one La Liga goal this season. Uh, Sounds from everything you read that he's kind of talking himself into this might be the right time to go to MLS and the Galaxy are very intent on signing him. He would, of course, be the replacement for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You know, I'm sure we'll talk plenty about this if this deal happens, but just the, the, the idea of it. What are your initial thoughts?
1: So the reports side of Spain right now as we speak are that uh, Chicharito's representatives are sitting down with the Galaxy as we speak here in Los Angeles to hammer out a deal. A deal that let's be honest has been talked about year after year after year. Why? Because he is one if not the highest profile Mexican player. He's a goal scorer incredible resume, charismatic, a rock star type of person, not at the level of Beckham or Ibra, but certainly a a rock star. I think from uh, a business perspective, this is something that has appealed to Major League Soccer for many, many years for obvious reasons. You would Sell a lot of tickets. He would bring a lot of eyeballs, plenty of merchandise, all, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, as I said, I am going to keep some powder dry because if this happens, I can already tell you right now, it will be the State of the Union uh, for next uh, for next week. And I do have some thoughts on Chicharito the person and Chicharito the actual player. I think ultimately this is something that the league and specifically, the Galaxy in this moment in 2020 need to do. And I'll expand on that uh, next week. But this, I think, unless something goes drastically awry, is going to happen. They're going to pay a, a, a lot of money for him from a personal perspective. I think the, the Galaxy will pay a transfer fee that breaks uh, their record transfer fee. Remember that they got Zlatan Ibrahimovic for free. And so, and they, they have spent money, but I think that this will be the most money that they have spent i think it's smart money in in some ways but i think there are some concerns and i will elaborate next week there's my there's my tease next week so i don't know you tell us over this next week is the chicharito to the galaxy slash major league soccer good for the league good for the galaxy good for chicharito i don't know
2: very quickly. Well, I'll, I do I'll, know, but I'm going
1: to tell you next week. I'll save my
2: Chicharito <laughs> thoughts for next week as well. Uh, the player that Chicharito would be replacing with the LA Galaxy, uh, Zlatan, uh, first start for AC Milani scored a goal, yeah. which led to this cascade of tweets from MLS folk. Uh, <laughs> sort of, oh, this proves it's not a retirement league. And are we going to start calling Serie A retirement league now? And that whole issue. What do you make of that? I, I, I sort of think like, look... It, it, MLS is not a retirement league, just like League One is not a farmer's league. These are hyperbolic terms that people use to troll. But it's undeniable that one of the roles that MLS plays in the global transfer market is it is where world-class stars like to go at the tail end of their careers once they feel a sense of completion about their time in Europe. And MLS has sort of embraced that. They welcome all these 30-something big names. And so to be like, operate like that and then get so bent out of shape over this retirement league thing, I think is a little bit tedious. Are you somebody that like that whole retirement issue is always front and center in your brain? So when you when an MLS player goes back to Europe and does well, you aha, That proves that it you know it doesn't it doesn't prove it, but just 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 give us our moment, all right, Mossy? <laughs> I mean, look,
1: we are a beleaguered and and beaten down bunch over here, and it's always in the context of the major leagues over there. So, this is a retirement league, and it's always put in the in and framed in in the sense that relative to the EPL, relative to La Liga, relative to the Bundesliga, relative to Serie A. And so that when a player goes back, especially at this ripe old age, and yet is able to do exactly what he has done before, exactly what he has done everywhere, okay? Yeah, give, give the MLS folks a little moment OK, a moment to be happy. All right. A moment to yeah, poke the uh, the big bear over there. Don't worry, it's not going to hurt them. The Syria A folks are going to be fine, as are all of the big super uh, leagues that we have over uh, over there. But look, it, it stems from the insecurity complex that we have. Some of it justified because of the shots that MLS and MLS people take. And it's part of it's part of who of who we are. And for that one brief moment, we can say, all right, that's that's something good. That's something that doesn't fit the narrative that is constantly shoved down uh, shoved down our throat. Does it mean that MLS is a retirement league? No. Does it mean that Syria isn't good? No. Okay, <laughs> none of that. But you know how we are going to shape and form things to fit what we want it to fit in any given moment. That's I think that's natural. I think that's expected. I don't think there's a, a, a problem right now. And it's fun to see Zlatan, to be quite honest, wherever he goes, to, to score goals. But certainly, MLS is realistic. The people that love MLS are realistic about what their league is and what their league isn't. Certainly, MLS people don't call it a retirement league. But the way that, I don't know, Portugal... Uh, the Portuguese soccer fan looks at their league relative to other leagues around the world, or I don't know the Greek soccer fan looks at their league relative to leagues around the world. And obviously, we're in a very unique situation in the United States and in North America when, when it comes to Major League Soccer and other leagues uh, that we have, in the way that we are seen and in the culture, climate, and culture uh, that we have. But I don't think that. A Portuguese fan uh, thinks about his league in the same way at times that we think about our league, or is uh, is at times that insecure or is protective of the league. They like their league; it's their league. Okay, they know it's not this or this or this. But as I say each and every time, you know, the best league is the one you love. Okay, and love the love the league that you love, and and go for it. Uh, go for it there. Congratulations to Zlatan uh, for coming and doing what you have done. Now for four decades, in four decades, I think. You scored the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s in, uh, in different leagues out there. It's pretty amazing. So uh, anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right. So we come to the end of yet a, uh, another podcast. We want to thank you for, uh, for tuning in. And I want to finish it here with, I got a uh, a question. You know, we do our Ask Alexi's and, you know, some of them we use, some of them we don't. We can't use all of them. Uh, obviously, I, I really appreciate the fact that people do take the time to uh, to write and to try to pick our brain and, and to, you know, I, I can't answer everything, but I answer as much as I possibly can online uh, when it comes to, especially uh, Twitter. Uh, a young freshman in high school, and I'm assuming that this is all <laughs> legitimate, but we know this is the day and age of fake news and information out there. But Cooper Thompson is a freshman at a high school in uh, Texas, I think. And he asked me, I'm a high school freshman looking to play beyond high school. Should I play high school, club, academy, ID camps, showcases? There's so many different paths out there. And doing I'm doing as many things as I can right now, but it's scary and frustrating. I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. Any suggestions? And to a certain extent, I'm, I'm so glad that Cooper took the time to write. And this is something that comes up a lot. And there are a lot of both young men and women out there who are in high school that are thinking about these things as the, the, the landscape changes. And so as we end each and every, every uh, pod, I do my one big thing. And my one big thing for the day is exactly what I told Cooper. And that is, first off, don't be scared. I know it's frustrating and I know it can, can be scary, but don't be scared. There is no right path and there continues to be no right path and that's not necessarily a bad thing yes at times there are paths uh, that are being more defined and there are paths that you are being pushed down right and wrong some paths can be very very beneficial but there is no right path and you will find as you go along in life that everybody's going to take different paths and get to different places and sometimes the path you're on is the right one sometimes it isn't but for you you have to find the, the the path that you feel most comfortable with. And so I guess that is the right path for you, but there's no right, right path for everybody. You know, I also told Connor or so Col Cooper, excuse me, play on teams that make you happy. And I think that this isn't, you know, a uh, flower child type of uh, hippy-dippy type of, of thing. Um, and I know it's kind of open and ambiguous, but... This is ultimately a sport, and sometimes people yell at me for saying it's just soccer. It is just soccer, but if you're not having fun, especially at a young age, and you're still young, okay? If you're not having fun playing on whatever team it is, then why are you doing it? Are you doing it for somebody else? Are you really doing it for yourself? And when I say fun, I don't want you to confuse difficult or challenging with fun. Some of the most difficult things I've ever done, some of the most challenging things I've ever done, have been fun and I have enjoyed doing them. And so are you having fun with whatever team and whatever different things you are doing along this path that you have chosen? And by the way, you can choose different paths. But I said, but do realistic, be realistic. If you are looking to get better at soccer or anything in life, if you are the best person on your team or the best person in your field or the best person... playing a a musical instrument or something like that, you may want to look to get better. And the way you get better is by challenging yourself against better players. So I always tell people, if you're the best player on your team, maybe look to find a better team. Uh, And maybe that's something that, whether it's Cooper or anybody else there, should do. You don't have to, uh, and you might be just as fine. And then I said and this, is, this gets into the nitty-gritty of what's going on in the United States right now, uh, don't be robbed of the high school experience if that is something that you want to have, okay? And I know with the Developmental Academy and the fact that we have moved on to a place where, where we are making young boys and girls uh, and young men and women choose whether to play high school soccer or not, you know, that's a, that's a big bone of contention for a lot out there, including me. And I think we are, in, in essence, in our zeal to develop better soccer players, we are robbing them at times of their opportunity to play uh, high school soccer, which I think can be incredibly beneficial. And that experience both on and off the field of playing in high school, can serve you well, not just as you develop as a soccer player, but as you develop uh, as a person. Now, I'm not saying that playing high school soccer, from a soccer perspective, a pure developmental standpoint, is always going to be the best situation. You may decide, look, that's not for me. I don't wanna do it, it's not fun for me, I'm not learning anything, and therefore that might not be a place to, to go. But if you wanna play high school soccer, then it's up to you to say this is something that I want to do and to make it the best possible experience uh, that you can. Because when we talk about academy teams out there, not all academy teams are created equal. There's a lot of great academy teams. There's a lot of great clubs out there that aren't necessarily academy uh, affiliated out there. So all of that is to say, Cooper and everybody else out there, I certainly don't have all the answers, but this is what I've learned in my almost 50 years of being here on this planet and most of those years being involved uh, and seeing The evolution and the uh, and the growth of American soccer, the good and the bad out there, and I would venture to say, and I I I PS'd it with this to Cooper, I said, study. It's a high school freshman, okay, and it's (laughs) you, you think it's like one to grow on in a after school special type of thing, but no, you will thank me later. To to even if you become the best soccer player in the world, okay, you're ability to function in an educational setting and your ability to learn your ability to apply yourself and do all those kind of things that i know your parents tell you and i know teachers tell you and i know people that you look up to tell you and sometimes we roll our eyes we all we all did it there you will you will thank me later being able to do all of those things is important and i'll go back to what i said before don't be scared you're okay cooper all of you are okay out there. You will all figure it out and you will have times where it goes well and times where it doesn't. There's a bunch of different paths. You may be on one path right now and you might find out that that's not the path that you want to be on. You'll go to a different path. And you might never be the soccer player that you want it to be, but all of those paths will make you the person that ultimately you are. And I hope that it's a good person. I hope that it's a person, most importantly, whether you can kick the ball or not, but a person that is happy, healthy and is productive in life um, and ultimately is a good person. So that's my uh, uh, one big thing from today's podcast. I just thought it was uh, interesting to hear what Cooper had to say from out there in the thick of things and how it can be frustrating and how it can be scary as soccer changes so much. Our world of soccer changes uh, so much and keeping up with it um, can be uh, can be difficult. Mossy, anything as uh, we go off into the week? Nope. As you mentioned, Bundesliga is back, so we will be uh, cranking it out this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, up early uh, with our Bundesliga coverage on uh, on FS One. Or excited, the winter break is done. A lot of different stories uh, to talk about as we hit the uh, second half of this season. That's shaping up to be. Certainly an exciting Bundesliga, much more exciting if you look at the top to bottom uh, and if you look at the, the stories out there than let's say the EPL, which we all and we just we talked about, is uh, is already decided. Not a reason for you not to watch the EPL or anything like that. Um, but uh, Bundesliga is there and we get excited to uh, broadcast it to you each and every week. All right, we will see you again next week. Make sure you, you use that hashtag #AskAlexi, And yes, you can use hashtag #AskMossy out there as we go forward for better or, for better or worse. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on all the different platforms out there. Do download, subscribe, rate, do all the uh, the different things that you have out there. You can find it on all the different platforms out there. And we really appreciate you each and every week tuning in to the State of the Union podcast. All right, size the day.